we're continuing our series studying the life of David, and this series is called Live Like a King. I want to just welcome you if you're watching online. Um, this series studies the life of David, and through his example, we can learn a lot of lessons that we can then apply to our own lives as we learn to live like kings and queens who have been adopted into God's family through Jesus, and we know that we are made royalty. Do you believe that? In this passage in 1 Chronicles 29, we're going to read about King David beginning the process for building the temple. He was going to build a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt, where men would come to encounter God's presence. Aren't you grateful that today we can encounter God's presence anywhere we go because his spirit lives inside of us? But what David was doing was a big deal. And so here's where we read 1 Chronicles 29. It says, then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. This passage about David building the temple, this really has a lot of relevance for us today as we think that as Christians, it is also our calling and a part of our, our lifestyle to be givers who give to not build a temple necessarily, but to build the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And we all contribute to it. We all give to it. And so I want to talk to you today about how to give like a king. If you're going to learn to live like a king, you have to understand how to give like a king. That's just a part of what we do. And so I'm going to teach a little bit about why and how we give like kings and queens, which we are through Jesus. Let me ask you this question. What would you buy yourself if you had all the money in the world? Like, I know you've daydreamed before. What if I had Bill Gates' money? What if I had Zuckerberg money? What would I buy myself? You're always buying stuff for your kids, and you're always paying bills, but what would you buy yourself if you were a billionaire? Like a new truck, a new house maybe? Maybe you get yourself a yacht or some jet skis, or maybe like an island, your own island. Maybe you're like, I can finally afford college tuition, whatever it is, whatever it is. And let me ask you this question. This is also fun to think about. What would you buy for other people? What would you give 
if you had all the money in the world. Like if you were a billionaire, if you have billions and billions of dollars, what would you love to do for other people? Uh, would you love to you know, buy your mom a house maybe or, or help single moms out who don't have a lot? Would you build orphanages or build churches? Or, or, or maybe, I don't know, like maybe you have a, a dream in your heart, man, if God provided, I would love to do uh, this. I want you to understand what it means to think about money, to handle money, and to give like royalty. Because we all understand that we've been adopted into God's family and made royalty, right? Okay, you understand that, and yet I have found that many Christians struggle to adopt a royal mindset and view of money and how it should be handled. And so I want to teach about that. Here is why we give like kings and queens. Okay, here, first, we give for the next generation. We give for the next generation. Um, here's what it says in verse one, the passage that we read. My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. Kid barely learned how to shave a few minutes ago. And now he's gonna be the king. The work ahead of him is enormous. Right, so this young guy, Solomon, and we know that he would go on to do Pretty great things. He was going to become king. He was going to actually build the temple. But King David recognized this is a big job. This is a big job because he's not just, he's not just doing any old construction project. He's building a temple for the, the Lord. But he's young. He's inexperienced. And, and he's going to need help. We've got to do We've got to help. And that's how we have to think as Christians. We have to think not just about ourselves, but the next generation that's coming after us. And I'm not just talking about the young children. I'm talking about the next generation of all believers. I met some Christians this morning in our church who are part of the next generation. They're in their 50s, but they just got saved two weeks ago. They don't know anything, right? They're asking me questions like, how can I get a Bible? And what should I read? And I'm like explaining to them, but I'm thinking in my mind, they're the next generation too. And then we do think of the younger kids, the youth and the children. And, and do you realize that today, half of the world's population is now under the age of 30? Young, the world is getting young, right? You're like, oh, help us, Jesus. <laughs> like, if, it's, if they're in their 20s, we're doomed, right? Like, no, no, we believe in them. We believe. We believe. And it's our responsibility to set them up for success. Amen? Amen. The way that we handle a money today as Christians is going to determine whether or not we leave a blessing or a burden to the next generation. I know watching my parents' um, generation grow up and, and the way that they were treated by the world as believers, we have seen that the world has become increasingly hostile towards Christians. Have you seen this? Maybe you just got saved five minutes ago, and this is all you know, but I'm telling you, it's true. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that the world is going to become more or less hostile towards Christians as time goes on? More. It's true. That's not being negative. That's what the New Testament says, that as we get closer to the return of Christ, the world will grow more hostile towards Christians and the church. So what that means is we cannot shortchange the next generation by not fulfilling our duty as kings and queens to give and prepare the way for them. We give for the next generation. Right now, we're sitting in a room, and we're studying the Word of God, and we're singing God's praises, and the previous generation of believers they, they sacrificially gave to build this room. I remember when they were doing it. I was a little, I was a wee little kid. I was the next generation. I didn't realize that someday my generation was going to be up on this stage doing ministry in the, the room that the previous generation sacrificially gave for. 
We can't take it with us, so let's make a difference, church. Let's give for the next generation. Here's the next thing. We give our best because God deserves nothing less, right? He deserves nothing less. Nobody would argue with this statement. Nobody would argue with this statement. Yet, many Christians live like they don't believe it. And it's about priorities. And so I want to ask you to just examine your own heart right now and just evaluate your own heart. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I don't know your specific situation, but this is about a moment of self-reflection. Um, in verse 1, David said this, The temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. We need to have this mindset when we think about giving and um, giving specifically to build the kingdom of God. When we give, like you, you, you often give, many of you are givers, and so you give in offerings and, and you give willfully to build the kingdom. I want to remind you, this is not for a specific church, okay? Generation church will come and go. It's not for a specific pastors. Pastors come and go, right? When we give, it's for the Lord God himself. It is to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is an eternal kingdom. Buildings decay, but the kingdom of God never fades away. Amen. Okay, look at verse two. Using every resource at my command, I've gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. This guy is not messing around, is he? Right? David is going all out. He's not there arguing with the priest about tithing. He's gathering every resource at his command. He's gathering as much as he can. We have to have a mindset that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to go all in. I'm going all in to build the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about a dollar amount. I'm talking about a mindset to giving, a mindset that says everything I have is God's and everything belongs to him. Verse 3, not because of my devotion to the temple of my God. He was devoted. I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. I'm all in. Right? Are you all in? Are you all in in your relationship with the Lord? I'm not asking you to empty your bank account to give to church today, okay? I'm just asking a spiritual question. Like, are you all in? Not, not do you come here to feel better about yourself, because that is, that is something that happens when you come to church. You will feel better about life. But are you all in? Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Are you willing to suffer if it's necessary? And are you willing to sacrifice? It's just a good question to ask yourself. Am I all in? I'm praying that you are. Verse 4, I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver. That, in today's economy, is worth over $7 billion. That's a pretty respectable offering, I would say. I'd be like, bravo, sir. You know, you are truly a generous man. And he was doing it because God deserves our best. Amen. Here's the next thing. We give to set the example. We give to set the example. First, King David gave, and then the people gave. We give to set an example. Verse 4 to 5. First, he said, I'm donating 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of silver. And then it goes on into verse 7. And he asked the people, what are you going to do? Verse 7, for the construction of the temple, they gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, and a whole lot more. Okay? So King David gave first. He led by example. Then he asked the people, now what are you going to do? And they, they were inspired by his example to give of their own resources. One of our leadership values as a church is that leaders lead from the front. We lead by example. 
I'm not going to ask you to go to a place I'm not willing to go myself. And nobody's going to follow you to a place that you're not willing to go yourself. And this applies to you whether you're a ministry leader or whether you're a leader in your household. You can't expect your kids to follow an example that you've never set. If you want to raise up generous kids, you've got to be generous people. Right? You've got to be generous parents. If we want to have a generous church, we've got to have generous pastors. If we want to have generous teams, we've got to have generous team leaders. If we want to reach a community and build the spirit of generosity, we've got to be generous Christians. Right? I'm grateful for the example of Christians who came before us who were sacrificially generous. I think about my parents and Amy's parents. We both grew up with godly parents who led by example in giving to the Lord. And I was, I, I was young, and I remember, I remember encountering that when I would see them at the kitchen table writing out a check in the old school days. Remember those paper check things? They'd, they would write one of those. Uh, and, and I remember looking at this big check, and it was to the church, and I'm thinking, yo, what is that? What, I, I don't know a lot about money because I was young, but I, I had a sense that that was a lot of money. And I'm like, why are you giving all that money to the church? And they said, son, this is called tithing. And what this is is we give God the first 10% of our income because he's first in our lives. This is what we do as Christians. I was confused. I was like, why, why are we doing that? Like, we don't even have brand name cereal, and you're giving all that money to the church. But see, like, it had nothing to do with income level. It had to do with heart, right? And then I remember going through other seasons watching my parents give sacrificially to build the kingdom of God and, and people in their church in those days too. Like, like when this church was built, when our Awatuki campus was built, my, my father and mother, my, my in-laws, when they were leading that church, right, they gave sacrificially. They gave their 10% tithe and they gave above and beyond that. And here's my family. Like I remember being a young kid and it's like, oh, so we're not going on vacation this year? And they're like, no, no. Well, why? Why? Why does God not like vacation? I don't, I don't get it. And they're like, son, you got to understand, it's worth making a temporary sacrifice for an eternal reward, right? It's worth building something that is eternal. And it's worth it. And I think about that example, and, and as I grew up, and as I started to earn an income as an adult, right, it was just planted deep down in my soul that this is just what Christians do. I didn't even have to hear a lecture. I just knew I had seen an example of generosity. I had seen an example of faithfulness and sacrifice. And I want our church to set that same example for the next generation that's coming up behind us. And I want us to set that example for new believers who just got saved, right? So I'm going to ask you to do this. In your household, parents, if you're a parent and you have kids in your household, maybe they're young kids, maybe they're like 40-year-old kids and they won't leave. But either way, will you share with them the example of what you're doing when you give to the Lord? If you write out that check, show them and talk to them about why you're doing what you're doing. If you give online with text to give, like show them the phone, you know? Like, hey, here, give, yes. Hey, look, look what I did, son. This is why I did this. We set that example so they can learn, and that inspires generosity in, in them, okay? And then, like, I, I even ask you to share this 
in your life group and in your serving teams to talk to one another about the testimony of how God has brought you um, further in your generosity and in your walk with God, how he's taught you to trust him and to give. It's not bragging to tell one another about what God has done in you because I'm asking you to do it, okay? It's sharing your testimony, and people need to hear that. They need to hear, wait, I'm not the first one who was nervous about giving, uh, but God was faithful to you, and, and that will inspire them, and they'll be like, oh, okay, okay, maybe I can trust him too, right? We can do that. We can, we can set the example through our generosity and giving, okay? Um, here's the next thing. We give with care. We give with care and consideration for the details. In verse 8, it says, they also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehel, a descendant of Gershon. This guy, Jehel, is named. He specifically was responsible for taking care of this great offering. Who was in charge? Jehel was in charge. Who was responsible? That guy. He was the bookkeeper. He's the one that told everyone no, right? He was the one who had to watch out and keep a record and keep track. I think this is in the word of God for a specific reason. God wanted us to know that all these people were given all this great offering. They were given sacrificially, but there was accountability. Somebody was named. He was in charge. He had to keep track. The people knew we gave all this money, and someone is keeping track of it. It's not just sitting in a warehouse. where We just hope it all works out for the best. And in the same way, when we give today as Christians, we're giving hard-earned dollars to the Lord, and we need to know that it's going to be handled the right way. Right now, I know that whenever the subject of money comes up in churches, people get weird about that, which tells me that they don't read the Bible because in the Bible, Jesus talks about money more than almost any other subject. If they read the Bible, they would know that it's very normal to talk about money in church and that our money and our hearts are very connected to one another. That's why we get emotional about the subject of money. And I understand that when someone, they get emotional, they get, they get a little bit antsy when money comes up in church church, and some people have had bad experiences where churches have betrayed their trust, and I realize that's a real thing. There are leaders who have taken advantage of people. Other people, they've, they've adopted just bad, bad attitudes, right? And so the subject of money comes up, and they get angry, and they're really angry at God. They think they're angry at me. Like, if you're angry at me right now, I can feel, I can feel that, anger th that anger thought, right? Like, I can feel it, just like the vibe of it coming. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Take that thought back. <laughs> but I understand. I understand there's a lot of uh, emotion, and people have been taken advantage of. And so I think as a church, we have to go the extra mile to handle resources and money with integrity to establish trust with people. We have to live above reproach, and it's more important than ever. So at our church, one of the things we do is we handle all money that is given to the church according to the guidelines of a group. It's called the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. All right, I wanted to explain this to our church today, just so you know, otherwise you might have never known about this, but these guidelines establish very important principles that, that help us to operate with integrity. It talks about things like a governance of a church. So like it says, your church has to have a board of directors who oversee the finances that are independent directors. So they're independent board members. Um, 
And then it talks about things like having financial oversight, so having reviews and audits done of your church books. Um, talks about things like how resources are used and how we budget uh, for spending. Talks about how compensation is set for employees of the church, that it has to be equitable and reasonable according to certain guidelines. It talks about transparency and openness. So that means that our, our church financial records are open records. That means you, if you wanted to know details about what the church does with a little, like anything, you could come and ask, and we would share anything with you. It's not locked away in a cave behind a guard. Like, it's open. If you're like, I want to know. I want to know how much we spend on air conditioning, right? Like, I will show you. Okay, if you want to know how much the church spends on goldfish crackers for the nursery, we can talk about it. We can talk about what the church spends on salaries or cleaning or anything. Like, it's open. It's not that interesting, but I'm willing to explain it to you if you want to know. Because we're in this together. We give as a church family, and so we all have a right to know. And there's nothing worth hiding, to be honest. So if you want to know, come and ask. We're happy to share it with you. Um, so that's kind of um, a little bit of the why we give. And let me talk more about how we give, how we give like kings and queens. It's important that we learn to think about money, handle it, and give like royalty, like royalty. And this has nothing to do with your income level, how much money you make, if your car has leather seats, or the square footage of your house. This is a mindset, a mindset about how we think about money, okay? And now I, I need you to understand, church, I need you to understand, you are royalty, okay? That's the first important premise of this conversation. You have been adopted into God's family. You are adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. You are co-heirs with Christ, which means you share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Revelation says that we will sit in victory on the throne of Jesus Christ. You will rule and reign with him. So you get that? Like, you get what I'm saying? You're royalty. This isn't me just, like, telling you nice things and making you feel good about yourself. It's what the Bible says. Okay? So you got to start thinking like royalty. you got to think like royalty. Here's the first thing. Royalty takes responsibility. Okay? Royalty takes responsibility. Uh, the king has a responsibility to think about what's in the best interest of the kingdom. Amen? Not just himself. A ruler, a president, a king, if he only did what was best for himself, he would not be a good king. We as kings and queens have to take responsibility for what we do with money. Now, that's because we are, we are royalty and we have we have this high calling. I mean, I remember being a young kid, and I started to earn money. I remember mowing lawns at a young age, 12 years old, mowing lawns and getting paid. And I remember getting paid thinking, like, this is amazing. I've got freedom now. I've got options. I can do what I want. And I tell you what I wanted. I wanted new shoes. I wanted pizza. I wanted video games. I wanted movies. That's what I wanted. It was glorious. And then I grew up. And now when I get money, I have very different thoughts. My first thought isn't Nintendo NES games. It's bills, and it's getting the greatest ROI for my money. I want the greatest return on investment. I got to think, what's the best use of this resource? It's not just about doing what feels good. It's about doing what's right. 
And we as kings and queens, as royalty, we have responsibility to do what's best for the kingdom of God and to take responsibility for our own financial situation. Now, commoners, when you were a commoner before you met Jesus, you thought like a commoner. And the way commoners think about money is they blame everyone else for their financial situation. They blame everyone else, their parents, the government, their education, the city they grew up in. It's everyone else's fault. It's unfair. It's the economy. It's my boss's fault. He's not cool. Like It's it's everyone else's fault. But we're royalty. And so we take responsibility for our own situations. We say, I'm going to do the best I can do with the resources that God has given me. I'm not going to blame other people. I'm going to take responsibility. Commoners blame everyone else. Royalty is special. We take responsibility. We think differently. Commoners spend everything they get. They spend first. They pay their credit card bills second. They save maybe. They give hardly. Royalty thinks different. When we were adopted into God's family as Christians, we adopted principles for finances that come from the Bible. And so we handle money very differently. Here's what we do as royalty, okay? We give first. We save second. We live on the rest. If you, if you just like came to church for the first time this week, you're like, people do that, right? Like, It's true. We do. And these principles are not things that we thought of. It comes from the Bible. God wanted us to be free from financial uh, burden. He doesn't want us spending everything that we get and living in stress constantly. Um, He wants us to give first because God is first. Okay. He wants us to save second because Proverbs says a fool spends everything he gets that we should save for the future. And then he wants us to live on the rest. When you've already given and then you saved and then you live on the rest, you don't live with the same financial stress that your neighbors do. You say, man, I'm royalty, right? I've learned how to find contentment through Jesus, not through stuff that fades away and goes out of style next season. I don't have to spend everything I get and buy things on credit. I'm going to be content with what I have and the Lord Jesus Christ who loves me, right? This is a different mindset. Okay, so we're talking about that. Here's the next thing. Uh, We have to think differently. So here's what I need you to do. Uh, Stop thinking scarcity and start thinking plenty. I'm going to explain that. Stop thinking scarcity, start thinking plenty. Now, if you grew up in a poor household, not having enough, you understand the trauma of feeling that strain, of, of wondering where's the next meal going to come from. There's a fear that comes from that, and it's easy to take on a scarcity mindset. Maybe if you lived through the, the last recession when people couldn't find jobs, we can take on a scarcity mindset where I fear not having enough, and that will interfere with your ability to give like kings and queens, okay? Because a commoner thinks about money like this. If I give, I'll have less. So that's a problem, because there's only so much to go around. Scarcity mindset. If I give, there won't be as much left for me. And if you have a scarcity mindset, this will interfere with your ability to give like a king. This is commoner math, okay? This is the way a commoner thinks about money. If I give, I have less. But I want to explain this to you. You were not made royalty through natural means. You were not made royalty through genealogy. You were made royalty through a spiritual transformation that took place. And so you can't use common math when it comes to money. you got to use spiritual math, right? Spiritual math is not the same as common math. Common math says if I give, I have less. 
Spiritual math is if I give, I am blessed. It's a very different math formula. God's blessing will take us further than any of our good ideas could ever get us. When I give, God blesses the rest and it goes further. When I give, I have more. I have more. And that's why it says this in Acts 20. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That doesn't make sense, right? Logically, let's just be honest, that does not make sense. If you're just like a logical person watching this right now, you're thinking, um, no, 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 it's more blessed to receive. <laughs> like, I got stuff. It's pretty great. <laughs> but Jesus was trying to explain a spiritual truth to us, right, right? He's saying, no, no, that's the way a commoner thinks. In the spiritual realm, you have to understand, when you give, I bless you, and that takes you further. You have more. It's more blessed. And I'm not just talking about dollars and cents in your bank account. You're blessed in many ways when you become a giver, when you become generous. You'll be blessed in your spirit, knowing that you're becoming more like Christ. You'll be blessed in your emotions, because as you learn to trust God and put him first, you won't worry as much about unforeseen circumstances. You'll be blessed in your relationships, because I promise you this, when you put your finances in God's order, in the proper order, you and your spouse will not fight about money the same way. I guarantee it. When God puts it, when, when God is first, when it's in the proper order, everything else falls. And so you'll be blessed in all kinds of ways. You'll receive favor in the workplace. When you give, you're blessed, and you are more blessed than even just receiving. So that's a different way of thinking. I'd ask you this question, right? How do you think that David had such great wealth to give? Remember we read about him giving tons of gold and tons of silver. I'll tell you how, that's a good question. Because he had a track record of generosity, all right? He had a long history of giving. Second Samuel chapter eight, read this. Joram, this guy named Joram, presented David with many gifts of silver, gold, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord as he did with the silver and gold from the other nations he had defeated. So process this with me for a minute. David got these gifts of gold and silver, and then it says he gave all these gifts to the Lord. That's crazy, right? Like, common sense and logic would say, if you gave me a bunch of gifts, like a bunch of gold and silver, it'd be really cool if I gave some to the Lord. But David gave it all to the Lord. So if David was always given all this gold and silver to the Lord, church, where do you think he got all the other tons of gold and silver to give to the temple? Exactly. Because God's blessing multiplies. God's blessing is for those who are generous. And in the kingdom of God, the economic system of God works differently. In God's economic system, resources flows to those who are generous. If David had waited to be a giver until it was time to give for the temple, he wouldn't have had as much to give. If you think I'll become more generous when I have more, you might never get that opportunity. I'm trying to explain to you that when you're generous, God will bless you with more so that you might continue to be generous. That is how economics works in the kingdom of God. So watch God bless you, watch him restore you, and you'll find that according to his word, he said this, and it will come true in your life as you give, He'll continue to pour out into you so that it can overflow and you can continue to be a giver. That's how much he loves giving. That's how much he loves giving. Here's the next aspect of this. Commoners are afraid when they give. 
right? This is a common mindset. They, they worry about not having enough. Anyone in here ever worried about not having enough besides me? Like worry and fear is a common emotion that people think about and feel when they have money come up and money issues, right? I won't have enough. So you, you, hear, you hear me talk about giving right now as a pastor, right? You're like, man, if I, if I give the way that you're talking about giving, if I make that a regular practice in my life, there might not be enough left over for me and my family and the things that, that we need. And I want to highlight for you again, that's a scarcity mindset. It's a scarcity. That's a, that's a way of thinking where you're like, oh, there's only so much, and if I give, I might not have enough. I've got to hold on to what I've got. I've got to hold on. The first aspect we talked about was greed. This aspect is about fear. There's fear involved. I might not have enough, so I've got to hold on to what I have. You know what's funny is I've done funerals as a pastor. I've never done a funeral. I've never been to a funeral for any American who's ever starved to death. This is not really a problem. Really not a problem, people starving to death on the streets. Actually, most people are spending millions of dollars trying to lose weight. <laughs> That's my problem, right? Like, anybody else? And yet we fear not having enough. But I don't know anyone who's ever gone without enough. Like, I mean, it's probably happened for moments here and there, but, but really, like, we as Americans especially, we have so much. We have plenty, and we have so many resources available. Like, even if I can't feed my family, I can just walk down to the food bank and get free food given to me by the church, Generation Church, because they're generous like that. Like, I'll just get some food for my family. If I don't have shoes, I'll just go down to Generation Church and get some free shoes, right? Like, I'm not even worried about not having enough, but yet we fear this. We fear not having enough. I want you to imagine a scenario. If you're a parent, or maybe you're going to have kids someday, imagine your kid comes home, and she's crying. She's just bawling her eyes out. She's like, and like you know how kids cry? It's adorable. And then you're like, you're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And you're like, your daughter's crying. Like, Billy said, you're not going to feed me anymore. Like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, that's crazy. Let's go find Billy. Right? That's what you'd say. Let's go find Billy. I'm going to beat up his mom. That's what you'd say. You'd be mad, right? Nobody messes with your baby. I know the moms in this church. They're ferocious. Someone messing with their baby. You would throw a brick through a window to feed your baby if you had to. I'd be coming to visit you in prison. Hello, Pastor Ryan from Generation Church. I'm here to pray. <laughs> right? That's what would happen. That is what would happen. And so how crazy is it, is it to think that, that some bully would tell your kid you're not going to take care of that child? And yet, here's where I'm going with this. How crazy is it that we as children of God would listen to the lies of the devil who would tell us, you won't have enough. You got to be afraid. You might not have enough. God is saying, what are you doing? Don't listen to that bully, the devil, telling you you won't have enough. Don't you know I will provide everything that you need? Here's what it says in Philippians 4, 18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Right? This is a completely different thing we have to understand and adapt into our minds. We've got to take on a different mindset. It's not, I fear that I won't have enough. It's a confidence knowing I will have plenty. Yes. 
Not scarcity, plenty. Because my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is not writing checks that draw from your bank account. It's drawing from his, he has everything that you need. He will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. He has more than enough for what you need. You don't have to fear not having enough because as a child of God, there's always plenty for you. He will provide. And I wanted to remind someone and encourage someone this weekend. There's plenty for you. You don't have to fear not having enough. You're a child of God. Commoners say I won't have enough. Royalty knows I will have all I need. And I know right now you're like talking and maybe you're still skeptical. Ryan, it's easy for you to talk about giving like a king. David was a king. And I'm trying to tell you, church, so are you. So are you. You've been adopted into a royal family. You are sons and daughters of God. I'm trying to get you to understand this. You are spiritual trust fund babies. Right? Yeah, can you think about how a trust fund baby walks around in this world, golden spoon in his mouth, right? I don't have to worry about a thing because I got a black card, right, an Amex. I can swipe it, whatever I need. It's mine. We could adopt a similar mindset as children of God. Not that we would want to waste money or be foolish, but we know I have put my trust in Jesus. I have faith like a child that God can fund all my needs according to his glorious riches. I don't got to worry about an unexpected bill because God will make a way. I don't have to worry worry about losing my job because I know God will provide all for that I need, right? I know everything that I need, he can supply and more. We should not live in fear. Fear comes from the devil. The Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not for I am with you. Fear not. It's repeated over and over again. You don't need to be afraid because God supplies. He supplies all your needs. Here's the last thing as we close this message. We give freely and wholeheartedly with joy. We give freely and wholeheartedly with joy. In the kingdom of heaven, there are no taxes. Okay? There's no entrance fee to heaven. There's no ticket price for coming to church. There's no cost that you need to pay to become a Christian. You don't have to give a certain dollar amount in the offering to have your sins forgiven. Everything that we have, we have received as a gift from our God through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace. It is a gift that is given to us. When we become Christians, we just simply put out our hands and we receive the gift of eternal life that God offers us through Jesus. And so we never give as Christians in order to get anything from God. We don't have to because he's already given us everything that we need. We don't have to give in order to earn his favor because he already gives us all the favor, right? We're already adopted into his family. Adoption is permanent. It can't be revoked. So we don't give out of obligation. We give out of generosity with free will giving, wholehearted giving, and joyfulness. So I want to read you 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So whenever it comes to giving to God, it should never be because someone made you feel guilty. It should never be to make a pastor happy. It should be because in your heart, you have decided, I'm gonna be a giver. And I'm gonna give cheerfully. I'm gonna do it with joy. 
joy, right? You might have to overcome some fearfulness, but you can still have cheerfulness, right? Like, I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm happy at the same time, right? Because I'm doing it. I'm going to be more like Jesus as I give. We should have joy, joy knowing this is something I'm doing out of my own free will, and I would not be doing this if God had not done something inside of me and changed me to be more like Jesus. I'm only joyful as I give because the God of the universe has transformed my heart to be more like Jesus. That's a sign of him working through me. It's a miracle. I have joy because I know that God is going to take my giving and multiply it and use it to build his kingdom so the lives are going to be changed and souls are going to be saved and families are going to be restored because God took my giving and he used it to reach people. That's fun. That gives me joy. I give joyfully because I know I am going to see even better things coming in the future. As a Christian, I know my best days are ahead. Amen. We don't look to the good old days in the past, right? We know that the best days are ahead of us. Even better things are to come. Man, I give with joy because God has already been good to me. So that's why I'm asking us to give like kings and queens because we know we've already been blessed. We know God will provide for all of our needs. We know that he deserves it. We know that the next generation, they need us. We know that God deserves nothing less and that it's worth the sacrifice to give the way that God sacrificed his son, Jesus, as he gave, right? Do you remember that verse in John chapter three? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know why Jesus laid down his life on the cross and gave himself for us? Do you know why he died? It's because he loved us. Giving is the greatest example of love. Giving is the manifestation of love. And so whenever we give, it's a beautiful testimony of our love for God, the way that he gave his son for us. And I want you to think about that when you wonder, does anyone love me? Yes, I know God loves me because he gave his son for me. I know Jesus loves me because he gave his life for me. He didn't have to. He gave his life and allowed his blood to be shed so that the debt I owed could be paid. Right, we owed a debt, Jesus paid the debt. He paid the debt we could not pay so that we could live free. He gave us the gift of eternal life. Guess what, you can't buy that. All kinds of people in this world are trying to figure out how to live a couple years longer. They're trying to figure out how to extend their life on this earth and make their body last a couple years longer. It's failing, right? We as Christians know I have eternal life. It's a gift I've received from Jesus, I'm gonna have an eternal body that's gonna be so much better than this body, right? He's been so good to me, right? He's given us so much. God's been so good to us. And I want you to remember that. I want you to walk away from this message remembering how much God loves you, that he is faithful to you. He is a father who loves his children. He is not going to let you go without what you need. He has not forgotten about you. That bill that showed up that you're not sure how you're gonna pay, God knows, he's not surprised. Your kid's college tuition, he's got a plan. You can trust him. Your life is a mess. You got creditors calling you all the time. He's got a plan to help you get out of that mess, right? He will help you. He will help you. So let's take on this mindset and let's look at money the way that God looks at it so that we might become more like Jesus, amen? I mean, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you for this reminder. I thank you for your word that shows us that you care about our needs that they matter to you, 
and that you have what we need. Everything we need is available through you and in Jesus. God, thank you first for giving us freedom from sin, Lord. Thank you for giving us the gift of eternal life. Thank you for bringing us this far and providing for us and being faithful to us. Lord, I pray for whoever's listening to this message that you would immediately begin to just cover them in your love, God. Just remind them of your faithfulness and the security which you provide. God, you care about even our smallest needs, even the things that other people would find trivial. They matter to you and you care. And so we can trust you to provide as your children. We know that you care about even our smallest needs and there's no need that is too small or too great for us to bring to you. So let us remember that we can come to you with all of our needs and trust you to provide. You are our provider. So God, I thank you for confidence and for comfort, for security and assurance that you're able. Thank you, Lord. And if you're here and if you're listening to this message, maybe you need to accept that gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. Maybe you want to be adopted into God's family and forgiven of sin. I want you to know you can take that step right now. You can take that step tonight and you can pray this prayer with me and accept Jesus and be forgiven and adopted into his family. I'm just going to lead you in this prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray it if you want this gift. Just say, God, I need you. I have sinned and I've fallen short of your standard. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that he rose again so that I could receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, thank you for loving me and for being with me. Help me to follow you from this day forward, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet at this time. God's good, right? We thank the Lord for everything that he's done for us. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to celebrate with you. So what we do is just going to ask you to shoot your hand up real quick on the count of three so we can cheer for you. That's awesome. Already raising the hands. Come on. One, two, three. Come on, just shoot that hand up if that's you. So good. Thank you. Anyone, thank you. Awesome. Anybody over here? That's great. So good. Come on, church, we gotta give God praise for what he has done. We're not gonna leave this place until we lift up his name. Get ready to sing it out. Let's worship him. Come on.